0: welcome to episode 106 of the scottish liberty podcast with the notorious tom laird and me anthony samuroff uh, we have a extreme we have an extremely sorry i've got some feedback here off to such a good start as well i'm just uh, going to as always
1: that. just uh, stop us anytime we get too professional for you
0: bill we <laughs> have a-, a special guest in fact a, a member of the European Parliament now. Before you start booing at home, <laughs> yeah, Sam's feeling particularly deferential at this at this moment. For those of you listening on iTunes, he was just doing the "We're Not Worthy" bowing down uh, signal. So the virtue signal. Um, yes, before you start booing, Bill Etheridge MEP has just affected to the Libertarian Party UK and. Um, formerly a member of UKIP, and we're going to get to know Bill. For those of you who already know him, we're going to dive deep and find out why he decided to change party and uh, what he sees as the future for libertarianism. Indeed, is libertarianism the politics of the future? Tom? Okay, well, we'll start by saying, okay, you're,
1: you're, uh, what's, why join UKIP in the first place? Because I I, I take it you were a conservative at one time, what was uh, what was the attraction of UKIP for you?
2: Yeah, well, I, I started off in 2009 as a, a member of the Conservative Party. Prior to that, for 20 years, I'd been too busy in work to be bothered with politics. Uh, right. I'd been in the steel industry, uh, sales, buying and selling, that kind of stuff. Um, I lost my job for the uh, first time ever during that recession, and I've looked for things to do. I couldn't get work, didn't want to stay at home watching Jeremy Kyle. So I thought, right, I'll get out there and help the local Conservatives because I blamed Gordon Brown fairly and squarely for what had happened to me and I wanted to take it out on him. So I went out and did some leafleting, worked with them, and they offered me a job and trained me up to be a campaign executive, uh, taught me how to run elections and so on. Uh, And I stood for council election for them on one occasion. Uh, Then around 2011, early 2011, had a major fallout with them because I was a member of the campaign against political correctness. Okay. Uh, one of our stunts that we did in the campaign against political correctness was we had a whole hundreds and hundreds of people of every different ethnic background or whatever pictured holding a gollywog dog and it was part of a, a discussion about how political correctness had changed perceptions. Yeah. Myself and my wife joined in with that and then we got the most appalling uh, attacks from Conservative head office uh, right, and yeah. pending investigation for being wild racist crazies or whatever it was. Um, Around about that time, I'd started talking to the local UKIP branch who seemed to be much more attuned to my views than the modern Conservatives. And I was fortunate enough to meet Nigel Farage. And I was persuaded that, you know, this sort of Stalinist bunch of thought police and the Conservatives weren't the place for me. Uh, I'd met Cameron Osborne, Boris Johnson, Margaret Thatcher. You know, I'd met a lot of the people to do with it and I felt... UKIP was the way forward. And at that time, uh, certainly around Nigel, it was a a libertarian-leaning vibe that we were trying to put out. It didn't always work, but we were trying to go down a libertarian route. And from 2011 to just the the week, I was a very active member. I was studying eight different elections for all sorts of different posts. Uh, I was a serving councillor for four years and still a serving MEP.
1: Right. And when you became an MEP, were were you one of the first... uh to be elected uh, to, to the, the European Parliament?
2: Well, no, UKIP's always had, uh, for the last 20-odd years, it's had a good representation in Parliament, in right. European Parliament. Uh, well, I was amongst the first in this new batch where we actually won the European election on, on, in 2014. And actually, because I was number three on the list for the party, I think my my uh, result was one of the last in the country to come out at about four o'clock in the morning or something like that. Right, okay. Highly nerve-wracking. But we got out here and we were left more or less to to fend for ourselves. There was a handful of old stages who'd been here years, but they, they left us to it and we sort of got on with things.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to comment on the thing about the Conservative Party being as quick as anything to throw you under the bus in order to look good in front of the greater public, and it just goes to show that conservatism really is leftism at the speed limit, you know. we've No pushback from the Conservatives on the blistering attacks that capitalism is constantly blamed for in the media, no pushback on anything of a civil libertarian nature. Definitely no pushback on any of the foreign policy excesses. I mean, they were a strongly pro war party. I don't know if they've ever, if anyone in the conservatives has ever said, wow, we were really wrong to support um, the the war in uh, Iraq, at least, uh, if not Afghanistan as well. And um, so you really can't put it up to conservatives. People have to be ideologically libertarian because they're just. well, they're pandering. They're they 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 just they're just trailing a few meters behind the um, the left, and they're they've ju- they're just not radical enough by nature. As conservatives, they're not radic- They're not inclined towards radicalism.
2: In one of my many dis- disciplinaries that I had when I was with the Conservative Party, uh, they took me on one side. And I, was, I was taken into this office, and this guy explained to me. He said, "If this is the left of politics." and this is the right of politics, we're right here in the centre. And I said, okay. well, you might be, I'm not. Um, <laughs> right. But they, they said, this is what you must be if you're a Conservative. So, you know, they have no intention of being radical or changing anything. They simply want to be social democrats in a Blairite mould and keep power.
1: Yeah, that's, that's how it strikes me. So, how long were you with UKIP altogether then?
2: Uh, from March 2011 till two weeks ago.
1: Right. So I mean a major decision then to to leave, especially I mean you could you could argue they're they're arguably one of the most successful political parties of all time, in as much as they achieved exactly uh well, we're not there yet, but they at least achieved the referendum, which wasn't wasn't even on the cards and forced the Conservatives at least into having the referendum. So well done on that one to UKIP. Um but so a, a big decision then to to change and to move. So why leave UKIP then?
2: Well, since Nigel Farage stood down as leader just after that great moment with the referendum, the party's been completely uh, seized in a civil war and factions grew and fought each other to the death um, without Nigel's strength of personality to keep everything together. Mm. You know, the chaos erupted uh, and there were several large factions. There was a libertarian faction, which I was involved in, nationalists and red UKIP, believe it or not. And the absolute winner that I've come through very clearly is the nationalist strain. Gerald okay. uh, Batten is the leader now. He's brought in a whole load of new followers. They're a nationalist party with some big state policies. It's completely changed, totally changed from what i joined. And you know, rather than stand there like King Canute and continue to fight it, knowing that I was a, uh, almost a lone voice at times, I thought, well, you know, if the party's changed that much, it's, it's gone away from me that much, I'll go to the Libertarian Party and I can still maintain the things I've said all the way along, because, you know, I've not changed my tune at all, uh, but no. I still continue to say those things with a party that actually agrees with me uh, mm. and uh, see if I am do some good.
1: So where, where do you stand then constitutionally in terms of, uh, or politically in terms of your, your job as an MEP? Does that does that trigger a by-election there? No. It's, no? Uh,
2: the, it, that doesn't tend to happen with um, European elections. Right. So, what, what is a long-established practice is that, you know, if I wanted to, I could have left UKIP and gone to the Greens yeah. uh, or, or anyone. You know, there, there is no procedure in place that says, uh, if you move party, you must have a by-election. Yeah. However, what I've tried to do, to try and at least be within the spirit of the election that I was brought here on, I've remained within the EFDD group, Europe of Freedom and Direct Democracy, which is the larger group in Europe that UKIP belongs to. It yeah. uh, still has Nigel Farage as the president. The voting list, et cetera, is still prepared the same way for everyone. So out here, when it comes to voting on EU issues, I am more or less voting the same way as UKIP, and I'm working with the same people that I've been working with since 2014. So there's no huge change in that. It's more domestically there's a, a change in the direction I'm taking. Okay. okay,
0: so there's a couple of things there. One is, um, so you're there... To keep make sure the liberty you're you're going to be a barometer to make sure that the libertarian party maintain their principles because no doubt if they don't you'll be the first high profile character to jump ship so so that's good to know it
2: takes a long time before I jump ship believe yeah yeah me. I've been okay. fighting in UKIP for nearly two years and fighting quite ferociously I'm yeah. not I'm not someone who tends to like to jump ship particularly yeah. But you know, if the ship sailed off and you're still stood there, you've got to find
0: somewhere. Yeah, well, if the ship's sailing on the in the wrong direction, then you need to go and find a a vehicle that's going to take you where you want to go. So let's tell, let's hear a little bit about this campaign for direct democracy because I definitely think that some of our listeners will have their ears pricked up and and want to know what exactly you mean by that.
2: Well, the the FDD is a group of parties which are. Pretty disparate and different in their many of their policies. Uh, they're broadly united by uh, Eurosceptic belief that there's a role for direct democracy for referenda. Um, it includes the Five Star Movement from Italy, who are currently sharing power uh, in government there. It includes um, the Alternative for Deutschland. It includes um, independence from various different countries. Uh, some people have split away from the Front National because it was too far. Uh, extreme they came over to it 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 has to have a certain number of flags as they call it Uh, it Mm. different countries uh, and we we have to have a common factor the one common defining factor is we believe in direct democracy and referenda
1: okay so would that involve putting everything to the people then in terms of any any policy decision whatsoever would it be like hit hit your red button now if you want to go ahead and have capital punishment or How how does it work in practice?
2: Well, that's how the five-star movement tend to go. Uh, When they've got to do a a policy idea, they put it out to their membership and and, and get the the buttons pressed. It doesn't have to be like that. I I mean, from my point of view, uh, I think it's just a a support for the idea of referenda on key issues like Mm. leaving the EU. Uh, I certainly don't think that you need to have a a vote for every time you're going to make a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you do need to have some sort of um, where well, you take the decisions, but why not bridge to the people from time to time? And that makes this group really unique as here in the EU because they hate referendum because, of course, they can't decide. you know, They can't. Dictate yeah, they're, they're, they're elites.
0: They, they're elites. They think they know better than the masses. Um, I think if we had a referendum on something like the war in Iraq, that would have probably been pretty good for, from my perspective and uh, various things that have been quite contentious. There is an argument to be made that some things um, require extra specialised knowledge and putting, putting it out to the wider public is probably not a great idea when it's, say, something of a uh, complex economic nature or anything. How would you respond to that?
2: Well, I agree. I mean, you know, because this group promotes the idea of direct democracy, it's not a, a be all and end all. It's not, you know, we must have it for everything. It's we actually accept the concept of having it for something, which is yeah. a step forward from where we are now. You no, know, I totally agree. Not only are some things too complex to try and argue out in public, but also they're too boring. Right. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to get anyone to turn up to press their button. So keep it to the key big issues of the day.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, talk, a key big issue would be, I, was, I would suppose, recently they had a referendum in Ireland over whether or not to legalise or decriminalise abortion. Um, and now we have a situation where, uh, due to direct democracy, someone like myself who holds a position that if the state exists at all, one of its main functions should be to protect the rights of the individual, and one of those individual rights would be the right to life. Uh, which, in my view, trumps the right to choice. So there you have a a democratic, a plebiscite decision overriding the right of the individual. How do you feel about something like that?
2: Well, I'm not. You know, the the, the point of the,
1: regardless you know, of what way you, you you feel about that, I mean, it could have yeah. went the other way, and then sure. you know, one side has to live with the decision of, of the other.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting, and, and this group that I'm in in Europe yeah. doesn't say referenda for everything. There are some things, as you're touching on, that may just be too sensitive or they may not be what's, you know, assuming we're in government at the time, hence henceforth we're yeah. deciding what a referenda is. We may decide it's not appropriate to put to the public mm-hmm. because it will be stated in our manifesto, we pledge to do X, Y and Z. But there are some things that so split parties and so split movements that, you know, you don't have the opportunity ever to have your own uh, voice represented and on those some of those things it is worth having a referendum because otherwise the people will be completely disenfranchised for always
0: yeah say for example if you went to the man on the street and you said should the government give any handouts whatsoever to big business almost everyone's instinct would be to say no of course every party has an interest of giving money to big business because that's how they get campaign finance from corporations so that would be an example as a um stringent like ideological dare i say i know that has a. um negative connotation when someone says they're ideological but i just think what what what, you want me to be inconsistent? are you you biological would you like like me to be inconsistent when i say ideological i mean consistent logically as an ideological libertarian i actually want to reduce the scope of what people to get get to vote on I, i don't just mean the people i mean the people in power like the less and less the government has to I like the fact that I can take my money out to the shops and if I like the cheesy Doritos, I can buy them and if Tam likes the hot ones, he can buy those ones. I don't want Do like to... He really does. I don't want to put it to a vote where if 51% of people like the hot ones, I have to eat those things too. I don't want people to have the choice to vote over what colour socks I wear, let's say. And I think the, the less that... Or the government indeed... You know, it might sound ridiculous. It is a ridiculous example, just to illustrate a point. But let's face it, in China, during the Cultural Revolution, they decided what clothes people would wear, and they wanted men and women to wear it with the same clothing. So it's not outside the realms of reality to think that a government might dictate what people have to wear. So, from my perspective, the desire is to reduce the scope of what the government has a say over by. Any means, whether it's by direct democracy or representative democracy, um, yeah, yeah
2: I, I I see your point. I don't, you know, I, I agree that I want less state yeah. control, mm-hmm. and that, that's the whole reason why I stand apart from what you you, know, you keep my previous mm-hmm. party. Uh, but there are some issues uh, that you have to accept. Uh, political parties during this current the, the current form of government that we have are divided on. And they no. never give, we the people, a chance to be represented, you know, or whatever our view might be. It never gets put into a manifesto. And the EU was a perfect example because every major political party was so split. That yeah. was one way to settle it. There was no other way because you couldn't have any uh, party would put into its manifesto We're going to leave because they'd have an internal catfight and fall out with each other. Right. So that was a perfect example where it should be put to the people and the people spoke, thank God.
1: Okay. Excellent, thank you. So just returning briefly to to UKIP before we move on, Uh, Gerard Batten, now the leader. Um, I mean, I I was at the, Anthony and I both were at the the Day of Freedom in London, which was organised. Gerard Batten was one of the the speakers there at the time. I think he was only caretaker, uh, caretaker manager, if you will, for UKIP. Now, he made one of the better speeches of the day, Um, but I had a, a concern on the day that instead of talking about free speech, which the whole rally was meant to be about, there was an over concentration on Islam. And that's not to say I don't think there's issues concerning radical Islam, I do, but the whole thing tended to concentrate on that. So is you your just to, to to clear to clarify, is your major problem with Gerard Batten that, or is it just that he's behaving autocratically in general and not really taking the party along with him?
0: Or option C. Yeah, as
1: or yeah, option C. Well,
0: well,
2: I think there's it's a bit of all of it. Um, yeah. One thing I will say, he, he is taking the party along with him. I mean, I would say that the majority of members probably are, are on side with what he's doing, which is another reason why I decided okay. no, it's time to, to move away, because there was no standing against it. There, there's been a lot of new members come in, a lot of the older ones have gone, and that sort of churn of membership has led to a different focus of what the members want, and they've followed Gerard's message. I do think he's over over the top and excessive in his obsession with islam i mean we, every interview's been he does he ends up quoting the Quran. i mean yeah. you know, i I'd, ra- I'd rather rather him be quoting a, a, an economics textbook to be perfectly honest yeah um there's that he is also autocratic in the way he runs the party there's no free debate policies are imposed and those policies actually Probably quite popular with the membership, but they've been imposed. There's been no chance of discussion of them. And in the last manifesto that he just sort of presented to us, there were three nationalisations, or at least increased wow. state control, however you want to put it. And that, for me, on top of everything else, was, you know, I just can't do this anymore.
0: Right, that's pretty lefty nationalisation. That's going back quite a long way. Even most leftists don't call out for outright <laughs> nationalisation these days. So tell me what it's like what has been like over the last few years being an anti-eu MP in the e- in the EU you know
2: well it, it's been really really um, interesting. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, hostility um, in the run-up to the referendum, we were treated relatively okay we, I think we were treated a little bit like crazy eccentrics you know, they, they, they you know just pat them on the head and let them get on with life and, and take no notice. when we actually won the referendum, Wow, it changed. Hmm. And there's a lot of people who will actually come up to you and start having a go at you. If you make it a speech in Parliament, you, when you see the, um, the videos, and particularly the famous ones with Nigel shouting and screaming at people and, and taking the mickey out of them, it sounds like it's quiet. But that's because the microphones are so good. They're only picking up the speaker. They're shouting and screaming, having a go. It makes Westminster question time look like nothing. Uh, They're really having a go. It's been intense, and it still is. But the great thing is, here we are in the belly of the beast in a building that looks inside like the Death Star. You can go around this place and find out lots of information that they put out there thinking it's good. And we find this information, we can get it costed, we can see how it's impinging on uh, your liberty and freedom, and tell you. And, And I think it's been useful for that in that way we've managed to get a lot of stuff out there that if we hadn't been in here fighting from the inside we wouldn't have been able to find
0: tell us about some scandalous uh things that you've discovered or things about the eu and um, that would make people go wow man that i have heard that that organization's pretty bad but it's nothing like i never realized that it, i thought it was all overstated i never realized that they actually do things like that
2: Well, um, paying for internet access in Transylvania, um, paying for dog training, uh, dog welfare and uh, health centres in Hungary, um, paying for vast amounts of new IT equipment, televisions in the offices, uh, and hundreds of thousands of pounds worth at the drop of a hat. Uh, I mean, there's a huge list subsidised canteens where they're served. Sort of you know, lobster, etc. You know, a handful of euros has been paid for the taxpayer. There's so much that comes out of this place. There's A, a list as long as your arm, and certainly some of the things that you you're party to is when you hear things like Nick Clegg saying that a European army is um, a dangerous fantasy. I think he said. Mm. At the same time as he was saying that, we could see the stuff coming through here, showing it was real. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. so there's so much you can find out from from the absurd, you know, the the, the dog welfare centres to the downright dangerous EU armies. Being here, in fairness, they don't hide it, and mm. it's there. Just you just go out and get it. It pings up on my screen, or it comes up on the information centre. There's so much of it, and I would urge anyone, you know, uh, have a look if you can on my on my Facebook page. I put all this stuff out there. Mm. Um, everything we find, we get out there and on the website, so it's there to see. Uh, right. I, hidden, yeah, absolutely. Nothing's hidden away. You can see everything we're finding out, and there's a hell of a lot. You know, you could spend days on this crap.
0: I have to say, though, it was bloody good lobster. You flew me out for a bell. So
1: some uh, there's been a few uh, high-profile uh, kippers that have that have left recently, um, and they've they've went separate ways. Stephen Wolfe, bizarrely has gone to the Conservatives. I've heard. I don't know what. not know what that's all about. You've gone to the Libertarian Party UK. Uh, good stuff. What? What was? What was? What was the reason behind going to the Libertarian Party UK?
2: Because I'm not um, in this to be a, a lifelong politician and man here out of this. Uh, if I wanted to have a chance of walking into somewhere with a safe seat to go for, and then spending the next ten, fifteen years. Uh, on my backside, building up the money and getting a pension, I'd have tried to join the Conservatives or or one of the main parties. Uh, I'm not saying, by the way, that's why Stephen Wolfe did it. He he was trying to get in there to make changes, and he was working, I think, with uh, Aaron Banks and co. I've been supporting him to do that. But from my point of view, it's all about what I believe in. Uh, And I've got a few months left of relative prominence, being an MEP, uh, I've built up a lot of know-how and, and context on how to campaign, and I thought, well, the best thing I can do now, with all this knowledge and a little bit of uh, fame or infamy or whatever it is, yeah. is, is to use it to try and bring publicity to this really excellent cause, this good party with good policies that, let's be honest, not many people have heard about. Then that would be my way of doing something positive.
1: Well, good. All, all the best with that. Um, what's the? As I understand it, you made several, well, not several, three, I think, leadership bids for UKIP yourself. And you, you, you kind of back, you, you, you sort of withdrew from the race to to, to, to support Gerard Batten at, at one point. Uh, any regrets about that now? Or, or, I mean, do you think you could have maybe made a, a successful bid?
2: Well, I'll, I'll talk you through what happened uh, very briefly. Okay. I made one actual bid for leadership, followed all, all the way through. Okay. And, and, and came third with about 13%. Um, then the next time the leadership came up, Uh, There were so many people standing on the libertarian side of it, even though I was probably the better known one. There were about eight different people and one nationalist, Anne Marie Waters. And I thought, well, we're just splitting the vote. So I dropped out of that in order to try and unite the libertarian vote. Didn't work. Right. The idea. And then this final time with Gerard, I was, as with other potential leadership contenders, I was faced with a fait accompli. We just got the party out to the point where it's about to go bankrupt. And a leadership contest was going to cost 50000 pounds And we were being told by Gerard and Gerard supporters, Of course you can stand against Gerard, but you'll bankrupt the party and it'll be all your fault.
1: Right. Uh, would you be better?
2: Wow. Would it be better if you just supported him? And <laughs> at the end of the day, even if we hadn't taken that on board, yeah. the first thing you do, first first things you go to or whatever. You're the guy who's bankrupt the party. You're not going to get many votes.
1: Yeah. And I don't suppose it's a good advert for a party that claims fiscal responsibility and government should be more fiscally responsible to go into an election as a, you know, as a, as a party that's not, it's not in good order financially.
2: Exactly. You know, so yeah. it, it was, there was absolutely no way of challenging it. But, but we did expect that he would take on a one-year term, stand for election at the end of that, and he would focus on Brexit. That was what was expected, that was the indication that was given, and it hasn't worked out that way. Yes, he speaks about it, but it's not the only thing he speaks about. And he's changed the whole manifesto.
0: So if you could sum up the differences, as you see them, between the nationalist wing and the libertarian wing, um, how would you put it?
2: Well, there's a a definite um, feeling within the nationalist wing that they'd like to nationalised railways and bring utilities back into public control. Uh, they they believe that you know to be patriotic you must control these things and mm. uh, stop foreigners buying property and all, all sorts of things which are uh, you could quantify it as little Englander uh, and that's probably unfair. But it's, yeah, very, yeah. it's very much uh, uh, this uh, putting putting Britain first aspect, which you know I guess we'd all agree that we should put our own country first. But there's ways about doing it. I don't believe in closing markets. In order to do that, also, there is a, a, an overwhelming emphasis on the problems with multiculturalism and particularly with Islam and radicalization. Yeah, but, but at some point, some of them even have an issue simply with anyone being Muslim. You know, some of them, and, and yeah. when you get to that point where you're losing the freedom of religion, I mean, I have no religion, but I believe absolutely and everyone's right to worship whoever they want so long as they harm that one that's the difference
1: okay well on on I'm that saying. one as, as I understand it you um, you're for uh, separate Muslim schools if they want them I don't know whether you're for the state paying for it which is another thing um, but you uh, is it right that I've, I've heard that you, you you back a ban on the burqa that would seem a bit of a contradiction if, if that's the case a ban on the,
2: the, the burqa ban. It's an area where it's not quite as simple as ban the burka. Not the way I I would look at it anyway. I, I do believe that there's a strong argument for showing your face in a public space. If you're going into public buildings, if you're going into a bank, for example, you've got to take your motorcycle helmet off, that kind of thing. But I certainly don't think you should ban an item of clothing.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So, you, in other we words, asked, we were we we were asked to quiz you on that by a couple of people on Facebook.
1: So, in, in other words, would it be fair to say it's if I'm a pub owner or a restaurant owner or a hotel owner or a bank owner, and I wish somebody to remove their book, that's my perfect right to be able to ask somebody to do that, and if they don't want to do it, they just don't get into my establishment. What? right yeah okay
0: that's how i see it i think the liberty the position on should we or shouldn't we ban the burka's mistaken private property all the way i can have my restaurant that's got a sign outside that says no burkas on the premises please and someone can open one up across the road that says burka's welcome yeah in fact Uh, you can only
1: get in here if you wear a
0: burqa. (laughs) yeah
1: Also, also (laughs)
2: also that so you have sure anyone who enters this building must show their face and be recognizable. Yeah. You take away all cultural, religion, yeah, yeah. etc., <laughs> aspects from it and simply say, I want to see who, who I'm dealing with.
0: Okay, so I'm from a Jewish background. Do you think it should be illegal? I know this is far fetched and probably wouldn't happen, but for someone to put a sign out in the window of their own restaurant saying no Jews?
2: Well, I, I think that if you're getting it, that's what I tried to say the last sentence mm-hmm. i don't think i don't want anything that implies no jews no muslims no afro-caribbeans no blah 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 i simply want something that means that if you're going in you're recognizable absolutely no you should not be able to ban people on the basis of their race or faith okay or Building.
0: I uh, see, we, we, uh, we're okay, maybe a, a little as, bit As, as, more as a pure that.
1: libertarian, I might not agree with somebody doing that, but I think they've got a perfect right yeah. to say, you know, we don't like, and then I've got a perfect right not to do business with them. Well, in you many know.
2: ways, I'm impure, and being libertarian, I'm impure <laughs> as well. <fuck. laughs> but I do, I do my best to get there.
1: Okay. I, <laughs> I, so more more on the impure than pure libertarian stuff. What's, what's the limitations of the state then as far as you're concerned? How about health care? How do you feel about state? healthcare is it something that you think the state should take care of or is it something that you would like to see more democratized or more deregulated
2: healthcare is the most poisonous issue in british politics yep. it has been completely <laughs> weaponized. thank you <laughs> it has been completely <laughs> weaponized by the left now you even talk about it yeah. i'm going to but you even talk about it briefly like a previous leader of ukip paul Nuttall who Mm. many years ago said that he wanted to see procurement privatised. Right. From that point on, and I don't know, because I had to go and campaign for this guy several times, he's the man who wants to privatise the health service, he'll leave us dying in the streets. If only. You've got to to be really careful how you go about it. Now, in my opinion, yeah, the National Health Service model as it stands now is completely unworkable and in a very short period of time will be proved to be so because just won't be able to afford it. And there has to be, I think, an element of insurance brought in and private privatisation to a degree. I, I do believe that. Okay. But I think so, what about a like the room, Dutch
1: model or Dutch model or, or kind so of there's, like?
2: There's a couple of different ways of looking going about it, and the, the German model is interesting as well. But the Institutes of Economic Affairs have done some some really good papers on this. And one of the things that actually I'm going to be doing and encouraging fellow libertarians to do is to look into their work. It's not purism, mm-hmm. but it might be sellable. Okay. To the British public, because it's great to be pure in your beliefs and views, mm-hmm. but you get maybe two or three votes and then you never change anything. Now, maybe I'm being pragmatic and being a horrible politician, but what I want is for those views, even the the core of them, the spirit of them, to be represented in, in, in government circles eventually. And you don't do that by being
0: too... sure too pure. We've got um policy, a healthcare policy for the Scottish Libertarian Party. I know that some really ingenious minds worked hard hard on that. Um Who was and, who uh, did, Could you uh, give us an example? Uh well, Derek Scott did some work on it and um oh, oh yeah, uh, Anthony Samroff, he he I know he put some serious uh, research okay. into the into the, Yeah, but but again, it's not a pure it's not a pure poll policy from a libertarian perspective but there's like what we talk about on our show and uh what uh, well there's what, what's
1: achievable as what
0: politics is, is politics is essentially about what's achievable and what, whatever way you look at it as long as you're not pushing the boat in the opposite direction from the one you want to travel and you might need to sort of just try and Angle it a little bit more on the on the direction that you want it to go. I think healthcare is one of these things. I mean, from my perspective, simple things like letting um, clinics and hospitals train their own assistants who don't actually need to go through four to seven years of university education could massively save on costs because you know, those who were trained for 47 years could pass tasks on to those assistants. Nope, that's illegal, but it's a very libertarian policy that yeah. would save the health service tons of money. And I mean, uh, I found
1: it interesting, I think it was just, maybe it was at 2013
0: that the British Medical
1: Association had a vote and they voted to not have any more doctors trained and they also voted uh, to prevent any new medical schools from being established. That would seem like a strange thing for an organization that claims to have patient care at heart to vote for. I mean, how how do you feel about that?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think voting to decide whether or not we open things like that is is not the way
1: to. Yeah.
2: No, I'm in the public discourse. And then sorry, I'm sorry, to... Bill.
1: To... We just we just yeah. lost you there for a while. Um, we lost c- you. Could, a, you, repeat you that, if, if, could you just repeat after? A, yeah, about yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Idea, ideas about change the NHS. I've uh, got to be put into the public discourse. We've got to get them out there in a way that is um, palatable for discussion to start on them, and then to start actually getting people to think there is another way because. There is a massive amount of brainwashing and propaganda about the NHS. Even if you look at the Olympics um, opening ceremony, yeah. you know, we love the NHS and all this. It's, it's like a cult. Um, yeah, at, the, at, at the end of the day, we've got to try and get this conversation going and say, there's more to it than this. We can make changes. It doesn't mean you're going to be left dying in the street. Yeah. And, and people need to, you know, it's going to take time to do, but I'm all for going into it
1: so i mean you would almost think that that olympic opening ceremony had been designed by some sort of leftist guy strange
2: it was very obvious
0: i just want to mention we've got something like 15 people tuning in live at the moment and yet there is a dearth of questions from the audience so if you want us to put your questions to bill please do um put them into the chat box uh it's now or never as uh famously sung.
1: <laughs> what did they say? this is so boring uh, alright so um, here's the biggie uh, are you still a member of Camera?
2: Ah, yes I am definitely um, I, I, that's one of the things that I love to go home for when I get back on the weekends <clears throat> the real owls around Dudley and Wolverhampton where I live, fantastic and there's okay. a place not far from my home called the Beacon Hotel been the same for over 100 years they brew the beer out the back they do dark ruby malts, about six percent, and it's sweet and strong, fantastic. Three or four pints of that, and you feel very libertarian.
0: Okay. Who are those people abroad? What is Camera?
2: The campaign for real ale, Good. and it's a very that's a very purist organisation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Yeah. I'm definitely a member of that, and I send my money over and support them, and uh, always wish them well in their endeavours because it's it's great to maintain real, proper ales.
1: Yeah, and uh, again, uh, together with UKIP, a highly successful organisation because, I mean, I, I can remember, I don't know, let's say even 20, 30 years ago, you'd, you'd be struggling to find one or two real ales in a pub. Now it's pretty much de rigueur, you know, any pub you go in, uh, a massive amount of real ales on, on tap there. So the two the, the have been successful now,
2: well, I'm losing you, chaps. I don't know if you can still see me, but I'm, I've lost you completely.
1: But I can. We can see you, and we can hear oh, you. Strength yeah. five. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was just saying that you know they've they've obviously had a lot of success. Camera, then.
2: Yeah, they've done brilliantly. It's made a big difference. Uh, and certainly, you know, most of the pubs that I go into in the in the West Midlands area, um, the ones that are thriving are the real L ones, and the ones that have been struggling are the chains that do the sort of you know the the smooth pour, calling, etc., mm. etc. Et They're the ones that are struggling. The ones with yeah. the decent owls on are, are absolutely chuck a block
1: Would you be in favor of anybody who liked being able to brew their own beer and sell it without government interference?
2: Yes, 100%, definitely. But, but, I've, I've, you've I mean, got that's me. You've got, yeah. you got me
1: back.
0: <laughs> also, uh, would you like to try some of my moonshine, Bill? <laughs>
2: Absolutely,
0: I don't recommend that you might go blind. <laughs> oh, no. it's well, I think
1: I'll, I'll caveat emptor. Yeah.
0: yeah, right. buyer beware. Now, um so is that what things do you mean to be working on over the next year or two? Um, I mean, I know you're in the EU. Do you mean to be working with people to prepare policy documents for the Libertarian Party? Are there particular issues you want to campaign on? What's um, what's lifting your skirt, so to speak. What's uh, exciting you these days?
2: Well, I I want to get heavily involved with helping uh, policy development within the party, the Libertarian Party, of course. uh, I think that there's some great ideas there already, and and maybe if I've got anything to offer, it's a little bit of experience of trying to sell policies, both in the media and on the doorsteps. And I think with some sort of fine-tuning of some of the stuff which I can offer my advice and now they can come to get stuffed or not it doesn't matter but I'll, I'll offer the advice hopefully we can make them more attractive policies to really capture the imagination for me i always think that people people can care about a lot of things but what actually influences their big decisions is money in their pocket i think mean, that you know that's the hard cold reality of politics mm. that those who people think will make them better off tend to win and I think that we've got a lot of ways that libertarianism can influence that argument can say we'll have more pounds in your pocket because we'll have flatter taxes. We'll have changes to the system. Maybe we'll look at local sales tax instead of VAT. There's all sorts of different options that we can put forward that would make people significantly better off. And I think we've got to go down that route as well as all the things that we, you know, we really passionately care about. The libertarians. But that's the one if you can put that front and centre and we've got a prospectus that we go to people and say, X hands are you better off if our programme is applied. That's what turns heads and gets people going. That's the political aspect of it that I hope to bring.
0: Speaking about more money in our pocket, certainly Tans and mine, uh, Peter McCain asks, what do you think about minimum pricing of booze in Scotland?
2: I think it's an absolute Stalinist disgrace. and uh, I, I just cannot believe it's, it's being tolerated. Um, yeah. Totally out of order. Uh, the nanny state, completely out of control there. there. And I, I think, you know, personally, it's one of the worst things I've seen in yeah. a long, long time. If people want to buy the stuff, let them buy it.
1: Yeah, a, a good time to buy. A good time to and an off licence in Berwick and Tweed, though. Would you agree?
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <Mark. laughs> There's always an opportunity in the market.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. Um, uh, another one from Peter McCain. Do you think the internet should be regulated at all?
2: As, as by and large I'm against regulation in general but there are some very unpleasant um, sites and streaming that comes out from the internet uh, and I'm talking in terms of the more you know, child porn um, and also some of the, the vile stuff that comes out from ISIS type supporters. Um, I would keep all regulation of anything to the very, very smallest amount imaginable. But I, I don't think, you know, maybe I'm not being pure again, but I don't think I could give a complete, let's just do what we want on there. I think there has to be some kind of control. Otherwise, you don't know what the hell's going to be streamed into into your home. And I'm very concerned of some of the things as well. If you're encouraging child pornography, for example, if you allow that to go on. But as a rule, I'd pull right back right back from it. Certainly this place is obsessed. You could walk outside this door of my office now and find dozens of MEPs whose sole purpose is to regulate the internet and and curtail freedom of speech. As well as freedom of speech, you could go on onto the internet saying anything you like as far as I'm concerned, as long as you're not calling a death threat on someone, and you should be allowed to do it.
0: Okay, Sheer yeah. uh, Reg says libertarian doesn't exclude rules and regs, or or does it? Um, uh, Adam Smasher, our biggest fan, asks, what's your opinion on Sargon of a Cad? Now, I don't want to give him any more publicity, <laughs> but uh, I I fear. Yeah, that I mean, I'm to guessing punch the, is to punch up. I'm
1: guessing the reason he's he's asking that has been there's been obviously Jared Batten's uh been colluded with some very high profile inter- uh, internet personalities. So sargon of akkad would be would be one of them i don't know if he's cozied up to paul joseph watson Who's, uh he's, i think yeah. he joins um, okay yeah uh, count dan killer would be another famous um, one and there's a there's, there's another guy who does crazy songs uh on the internet a lot of them about islam so sargon of akkad would probably be regarded as the most more cerebral one of of, of those so what, what 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 is gerard Batten doing with that and what what's What's your opinion of Sarah if
2: Right, well, first of all, I think what Gerard's trying to do, and it's something that...
0: You appeal to the you young.
2: I, well, also, I agree with the principle. He's talking about saying that people should have uh, freedom on the internet to express their opinions. And, yeah. and I voted uh, in Strasbourg against the, the measures that were being brought in to try and curtail that, uh, as, as did Gerard and the rest of you, Um So I, I agree with the campaign there. What do I think of these people? To be honest with you, I've never watched their stuff, so I haven't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't got a clue. Um, I don't know well, I've you'd
0: be better off watching the people. the Scottish Liberty <laughs> podcast. You get far yeah, don't, more, don't look far, at them. far more nuanced <laughs> uh, uh, analysis from this show than from anything that comes out. Sorry, good, I cad I hope he trolls us back.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting though. I mean, with the Dankula thing, and it, it is a real concern because. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That was the guy with the the Nazi pug. And and, and, yeah. And the disgrace was there was not one in Scotland, at least there was not one single politician who was prepared to go on record. And uh, sorry, I was just I was just giving Anthony a nudge there. He's got a tendency to yawn when I'm speaking. <laughs> so I'm going to punch him next just time. Sleep. Yeah, so <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> I've, I've completely lost the thread now. Where was I going? Yeah, the with the Nazi Fug. Not one politician in Scotland was prepared to come out and, and, and say, look, I might not like this guy. I think he's a clown. I think that what he did was beyond the pale. However, he doesn't deserve to be arrested and go to jail for it. Um, so I, the one thing I did like about Jared Batten was that he was at least prepared, he was one high-profile politician, he was at least prepared to say, look, the guy's entitled to an opinion, whether it's off-colour or right or wrong, he's entitled to an opinion and he shouldn't go to jail for it.
2: Yeah, and I, and I entirely agree with that that position. Um, I think <clears throat> we should avoid censorship and thought police uh, as much as we possibly can, and, and yeah, I Gerard's right on that in, uh, instance, and uh, I was I was voting the same way as him in Strasbourg when we were trying to stop the new rules coming in. So you know, not having seen these guys in action, but I don't really care what they yeah, say. Well, you know, it doesn't matter to me. They could be communists or they could whatever they say it doesn't matter. They've got a right to say it.
1: Yeah. Well said, sir. Well said, sir.
0: Well, I dare say that. Um,
1: what do you dare say? <laughs> say uh,
0: I, I think that we're we're coming to wrapping up, so I just thought that it would be a great thing for you to tell people where they could find out any critical details about you, where they can find you posting scandals from the <laughs> EU, as you do on Facebook, and, you know, um, just anything, any me- final message you want to share with our audience.
2: Okay, well, great. Put my name into Twitter, Facebook, um, Google. Uh, my website will come up. Facebook, they've got very, very active um, stuff going on there. Always make sure there's plenty going on to it. And what I would say to people is, you know, I'm going to do my very Are
1: you there, Bill? <laughs> we've lost you again. That's ironic. <laughs>
0: You're going to do your very best to have your voice heard on YouTube, despite, 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 despite technical difficulties. Just one more time. They might have heard at home, but we didn't hear what you're going to try your very best to do. So once more for the roads.
2: Right, Very best to represent a broad range of libertarian views on virtually every aspect of politics, particularly the EU side of things, yeah. as much as I can. You know, uh, make sure that message gets out there. Get some media coverage, and make sure people are exposed to libertarian thinking. Okay,
1: and will you be seeking re-election as an MEP? No, because we're leaving the EU. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Okay. Uh, let's hope that let's hope that prediction from this this show at least comes true. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Bill, Thank uh, you for thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us. Good. And we wish what? you every success with uh, the Libertarian Party UK.
0: Yes. Good to Thank get you. to know you a little bit better. And I'm sure we'll be seeing you at events in the future.
2: I look forward to it. Thanks, chaps. Thank you. Thank you. you. Cheers.